Hey, how's everybody doing? Good? <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> hey, if you guys have your Bibles, can you please turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to actually be in there for a few weeks. Am I too, is this too hot? Is it kind of loud? No, we're good? Yes, it's not blasting? Sounds like it's blasting. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to just kind of camp at Matthew 5. Um, if you haven't been here for the past couple weeks, uh, we actually been going through what uh, Jesus would call uh, the Beatitudes, uh, which really means to be blessed. This word means blessed in the Greek. And if you have been here, I think we're uh, starting to get some clarity, right? Like we're starting to get, to get some clarity on what that word actually means, what the kingdom of God looks like, and, how, uh, the, and who the kingdom of God belongs to. Now, I understand. I know you guys read ahead, right? No? Hopefully. I read your Bibles. It's good. You guys should read your Bibles. Um, if you read ahead, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Beatitudes, only, there's only two of the Beatitudes uh, that says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's only two of those Beatitudes, uh, but it does not mean uh, that the rest of the Beatitudes cannot be read that way. Uh, this is what I mean. Jesus says, first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Uh, number two says, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number three, for uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, uh, for, uh, for, they sh uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so all of the Beatitudes can be read that way. And so what I want us to understand is that all of the Beatitudes matter. They matter in the kingdom of God. So you and I are not, as we live this life, following Jesus, loving Jesus, are not going to pick and choose uh, which beatitude we want and which beatitude uh, we don't want. Um, instead, God is trying to give us really the entire package. Um, we don't come into his kingdom half saved. I've never heard of that before. We don't come into his kingdom half saved. You are fully saved you are fully redeemed. Amen? But until glory, right? Until we meet him or he meets us, by his spirit, Jesus is endlessly working uh, these virtues into us, endlessly working uh, all of these behaviors into us, building us up as individuals, building us up like this as a congregation, as a body. Um, and the kingdom of God is really made visible right now through you and I. See, one author says, uh, and I said this on week one, we get to live in the presence of the future. Let me say that. We get to live in the presence of the future, meaning you and I get to experience uh, partially uh, of God's coming kingdom today. Right? So I know we have the occasional uh, casting out of demons. I've seen that right there. We have the occasional uh, he uh, healings of the sick and miracles. Um, I've, I've seen that, right? Like, that is a clear sign that sin and death are on the clock. But as Jesus is teaching this Sermon on the Mount, what we see here, we get to see that what speaks the loudest in the life of a believer is the life of a believer. Okay, let me say that one more time. We get to see what speaks the loudest in the life of a believer is the life of a believer, right? There is nothing here more evident 
than a soul that's been saved and a life that's been transformed. Nothing. That's like, I, I see that, you know? Right, like, I know some of you here are not the same person you used to be, right? If you knew that person next to you, you'd probably not leave your purse around, right? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, right? Right? Like, some of us come from backgrounds, man. If I even told you, they wouldn't even believe, right? Like, you tell people, like, that was you? No way, right? I got to see some pictures, and I got, I got pictures, right? Like, we got stories, but, man, you show them pictures, right? Like, I... So when I get to show people how, uh, where I came from and how I used to look, man, their response is like, oh my gosh, like I can read it on their face. They're probably that, like, that's gross. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> right? But as much as we love to see and to share where we've come from, those are good things. Jesus is showing uh, us as his church uh, really uh, not where we come from, but really where we're going. So that's what this sermon is about. It's like, where are we going? Where are we going? Right? It's hard to run a race when you don't see the finish line. I don't know where I heard that, but I heard that somewhere, but it makes sense. Like, Christianity, listen, is not just about looking good and attending church. Like, that's not what it's about. If, like, if that's what it's about, man, that's devastating. I think that's why people get really burned out over here. If it's about attending church and attending Bible studies, like, I got to go to there, I got to do this, I got to do that, like, that's not what Jesus wants. Like, that's not what it's about. See, there is much, much more life that Jesus is calling you and I into, inviting you and I into. There is much more beauty that, like, he wants us to see. And really, it starts with you and I. Right? I, don't, I don't want us to be known for being morally good and charitable people. Like, what separates us from any organization that's morally good and charitable? A lot of people are good people. A lot of people give things away. You know, rather, I want us to be marked by the community in Kilauea, in Anahola, in Wailua, wherever uh, we're at, for the love that we have for Jesus and the love that we have for each other. Like, you cannot fake that. You can give stuff away. You can look morally good, and you can look upright, but you can't fake that. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a deep love for Jesus and a deep love for each other. Right here. I mean, what else do people see? Jesus said it. They'll know you're my disciples by the love, by the love that you have for each other. But it starts with me. I know that. It starts with you, not the person next to you. And so this is what the Beatitudes are. It's really God shaping us. He's molding us individually, corporately, uh, building us into a people that really uh, as I operate under God's reign and under God's rule, right? This is what we talked about week one, coming to Jesus in full surrender. Remember that? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Blessed are you when you don't think you're the, that's what he's saying, Right? Blessed are you when you've come to the end of yourselves. Blessed are you when you finally had enough of life. Blessed are you when you're tired and weary 
and exhausted, and they got me again. Blessed are you. And this is something we avoid. I'm always saying that these beatitudes are something that we avoid. This is not something that we choose to do because our culture says what? Our culture says, be independent. You got this. Do you, right? You get it done yourself. You don't need anybody. I got myself here. And yet Jesus is saying, it's the poor in spirit that enter into the kingdom. Rather, the ones who are tired, the ones that have finally given up, the ones that are saying, I don't got this. I'm not capable. I can't do this anymore. Jesus is saying, congratulations. Blessed are you. That's what that means. Blessed are you when you finally give it up. Now you can see your need for Jesus. That's what that's talking about. Like I thought to myself, what would life be like, right? What would life be like if, we, if it was never hard? Like you ever think about that? What would, right? <laughs> Good. What would, life, what would life be like if God never put any difficulties in there? Would we be in this place? Would you have gotten to know him? Would there be a time in your life where you needed him? And that's why I think I say this all the time. I don't think we know how blessed we truly are. Blessed, this isn't about happiness. I think you guys can think, right, blessing, happy. This isn't about happiness. This isn't about enjoying any type of good fortune or enjoying the good life. Like you just said, good, life would be good. Uh, Jesus said, what would it profit a man, right? To gain the whole world and then lose his own soul. Like what would it profit you and I to have everything that we've ever wanted for what, 70 years, 60 years, 80 years, and then lose your own soul for the next 15 gazillion, billion, zillion years? Like what would you be doing then? Like this, right? Jesus said, those of you who find your life will lose it. But those of you who lose your life for my name's sake will find it. This is the beginning of life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, uh, for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. Which brings us into week number two. If you were here last week, he said, blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted. So right here, right out of the gate, I remember I said this, uh, Jesus right here is giving you and I, as his people, permission to grieve. I said this last week, giving us permission to mourn. Now, that's not something we love to do, and that's not something we choose to do, right? We don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be sad today. Right? We don't do those things. I'm not going to wake up this morning and be like, I'm going to choose to be sad, real sorrowful. Nobody does that. Nobody chooses to do that, right? Um, now, this is, uh, nobody likes the idea of sadness. Can we agree? Like, nobody likes the idea of being sad. Rather, rather, let's not be sad and let's do everything we can to be happy. And yet Jesus is saying to us that mourning and grieving, mourning is a sign of the kingdom. Mourning and grieving is a sign that the kingdom is here. And I said last week, when I first got saved, all I thought I needed to do was to get sober and brush up on my language. Remember I said that? 
That's what happened over here. I just needed to get sober, brush up on my language, and I thought I was going to be like the Apostle Paul in the Bible. I had to see, <laughs> no, little did I know, right? Little did I know the closer, actually, that I got to Jesus, the more I got to see how far I've fallen short of his glory. This is not just then. This is all the time. And this really caused some grief and sorrow knowing I'm not who I thought I was. It happens. And Jesus is saying, this is the sign of the kingdom. Don't ignore it. Like, don't dismiss that. Don't ignore it. Rather, let's get through that. Like, let's get through this. Mourning and grief, as I said last week, it's going to change. This changed, the, this changed everything for me. Mourning and grief is actually born out of conviction. I have never heard it that way before. Mourning and grief is born out of conviction. And so the Spirit of God, right, who searches us, convicts us, which is called the comforter, um, what he does is he comforts us by inviting us into something better. Remember I said that last week? The Spirit of God does not just point out our sin and then leave us there. He doesn't just point out these things in our lives and then just tell us and just leave us there. No, what he does is he invites us. He invites us into something better. Uh, and in a culture that doesn't embrace mourning and sadness, but rather suppress it, dismiss it, self-medicate, ignore it, I believe as Christians we could be doing the same thing with our convictions. We don't embrace the idea of sadness. We don't like the idea of mourning. So uh, what happens when we come into church and we hear the word of God and we feel those convictions, what do you think we do with that? And so as the Spirit of God was pointing things out in my life, he wasn't just trying to make me feel bad about it. That's not what the Spirit of God does, but he was inviting me out of it and into something better. See, Jesus is constantly calling us out, constantly inviting us into something better than that sin, something better than those idols, something better than that medication. And what God is saying and what God is doing is he's trying to lead us into a life that is more joyful, that is more freeing, and leading us as a body to help each other, to encourage each other, to comfort one another, because that's what the Spirit of God is doing with us. So if that's what the Spirit's doing with us, are we doing that with each other here? And so as we get to experience, as I said last week, kind of the gospel save us, we, we see the gospel save our lives. I know what it did for me, uh, and is even now still kind of saving us, right? Sanctifying us. Um, our attention, actually what happens is it shifts. It kind of shifts from us uh, to the outside, to the world that you and I live in, uh, which then should not create anger and hostility to the world that we live in because it's broken, um, broken and dark and evil but should create the compassion of Jesus in us. I was talking about this last week. I'm just recapping. Uh, recognize, recognizing the world uh, for its brokenness, uh, recognizing the world uh, with that, that is full of sin, and really looking at the world now through the lens of grace and mercy because that's how God handled you and I, and that's how God handles you and I today. And I really hope that's what's happening here. 
Like, I pray that's what's happening in our church today, not looking at our brothers and sisters with contempt, not looking at our brothers and sisters here like you're better than them. That's self-righteousness, and I hate that. Like, I hate that. So if somebody in the church falls or someone makes a mistake, uh, we don't look at them with contempt. We correct them. We help them. We encourage them. We, uh, we comfort them, and we help them move forward. And I bid you to treat them the way that you would want to be treated if you've ever made a mistake. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would do unto you, right? And that really brings us into this week's beatitude. Uh, it's going to be in verse 5. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this word meek has probably fallen on some really hard times today and really hasn't changed for the people of God back then when Rome was in charge and really still means the same thing for us today. Uh, We hear it all the time. Meekness is not weakness, okay? Meekness is not weakness. Weakness, to be meek, does not mean to be weak because to be weak means you cannot do anything. That's what weak means. But to be meek means you can do something, but you choose not to. Okay? So we kind of got that. You see, when the disciples were hearing this, um, in this passage, they understood this word to be uh, without power. They understood this word to be without authority or someone being a pushover, or someone being a doormat. Uh, But the greatest example of meekness uh, would be Jesus himself. And yet, as we can see in the Gospels, uh, he is far from being a pushover. He is far from people walking all over him. He is far from uh, having no authority or having no power. You see, um, actually, we see the example of really strength under control in Matthew 27, in the Garden of of Gethsemane, Jesus is about to be arrested, right? Like, this is the moment that Jesus is about to be arrested and tried, and do you remember what Peter does? Right? Peter, yeah, whoop, right? Peter, Peter grabs his sword, uh, grabs his sword out his, and he cuts one of the high priest's ear off, and then what does Jesus do? Jesus goes down, grabs the ear, and puts it back on the high priest. He then says, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword, He then goes on to say, do you not know that I could appeal to my Father in heaven, right, to send 12 legions of angels? Like, do you guys know that, like 12 legions of angels? Do you know in 2 Kings, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians? One angel, right? This is legions, and not 12 of them. So one one legion is anywhere from three to 6,000 angels. I kind of looked that up. I don't think there's a specific, but there's, right? Anywhere. So that's like what? Almost a billion. And in this, I just wanted to point out, see, we get a front row seat just in this chapter in Matthew 27 of all the power that Jesus contains, and yet the gospel implication is that he never uses it to ever serve his purposes, but has always been used for the kingdom of God. Jesus did not need the help of his disciples. See, at any moment, he could have sent those angels to destroy everyone. And so what we get to see here uh, for us today 
is holy restraint, that's the first one, and his submission unto the will of God. And I think one of the places uh, really in the Bible where we can see the same language used uh, is in the Beatitude is actually in Psalms 37. So if you guys can turn to Psalms 37. Most scholars believe that Jesus was using this psalm. And so there are a few things here, as you guys are turning there, uh, to really, for you and I, as followers of Jesus, who love Jesus, uh, to live really a life of meekness. Uh, Because really our impulse is kind of quite different, right? It's the opposite. The world is all about, the world is all about assert your dominance. That's how we grew up. Assert your dominance. Uh, show our strength. Taking matters into our own hands. And I think my impulse is kind of like Peter's. But if everybody's impulse was this way, I don't think anybody would have ears left. And so as the people of God, right here in Kilauea, we need to trust the gospel. Meekness is not easy. We need to trust the gospel, press in to Jesus, and let him lead us into a life that he's called us to live. So Psalms 37 is... Our I'm not going to go through all of it, but I do want you guys to read it. Um, as you guys go home, that's your homework. Read through Psalms 37 and really see uh, what David is talking about. Now, what we see throughout this psalm is really the, repe- uh, the repeated phrase, uh, these people will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. And this is the running theme throughout the entire chapter. And so, Let's read one through four and see what meekness kind of, how meekness should play out in our lives. And I'm reading out of the NLT. Man, it sounds good in the NLT, the Psalms. I usually read in the ESV. I'm going to read in the NLT. Verse one of Psalm 37, he says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Verse two, for like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And to understand this a a little better, to uh, really see uh, David's heart in this psalm, one author wrote, the man of that day looked out and saw the ungodly prosper. He could see the fields of the ungodly being watered by the rain and flourishing, while down the road, just right down the road, a poor, righteous man was having a very hard time. It was was difficult to understand the reason for this. And so in this psalm, David is saying to us how easy it is for us as believers to become agitated and envious and jealous of the world around us. It's really those of us who uh, work hard and work faithfully, those of us who love Jesus and do right, we tend to be the ones that kind of just make it, barely. Or really, we don't make it at all. And yet, what we get to see in this psalm is all the ungodly enjoying all the pleasures of life. We see uh, the, the unbelievers prospering in their ways. And really, what he's trying to tell us is do not fret. Like, do not become angry. Meekness would be to not be tempted now. To not be tempted to use our own power, to use our own ability, uh, uh, whether for any kind of unjust gain. See, this is, this is kind of the temptation today, uh, whether that be financially, whether that be pos- positionally, but rather, he says in verse 2, to trust in the Lord 
and continue to do good. As he says, for their time is coming and their inheritance is only on this side of heaven. And so this, in a sense, is practicing meekness. And if this is the world that you and I live in today, how do we trust God and how do we do good? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's in verse 4. To not delight ourselves with the things here on earth, but to delight ourselves in the Lord. And I think this is a verse that is highly misinterpreted or misused because it says he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, what this is saying for us today is not that he's going to give you everything you want because you delight in him. See, what kind of God would that be to give us everything we wanted? I don't even know what I want. I'm beyond, I don't know what I want. And what I wanted last week is not what I want this week, right? I'm inconsistent. You're inconsistent. We're inconsistent, right? He's God. See, it's not about what we want. That's not what this is talking about. But he's God, and he knows what we need. And it's really more of him. So what is this verse saying? This is what it's saying. Because you delight yourself in Jesus, because you delight yourself in the things of God, his desires become your desires. His will becomes your will. And ultimately, our hearts become aligned with his heart, right? His heart, not as easy as it sounds. I know, but that's okay. That takes time. For sure, this is one of the hardest things I think. I, it takes time. And all that the psalmist is saying is to make Jesus the most important thing. That's it. Don't find your value, don't find your worth, don't find your identity don't, in the people and in the things of this world because it'll only leave you agitated and envious and jealous, but rather delight yourself in Jesus, delight yourself in the things of God. Make Jesus your greatest treasure. He said it, where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. And I think one of the hymns, I read a hymn, and I think one of the hymns will help us out with this. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm going to kind of skip down. The next thing we see here in Psalms 37 is verse 7. And it says this. Be still in the presence of the Lord. It says, but wait, and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their, uh, about their wicked uh, schemes. I remember Pastor Keone, who always, uh, Pastor Keone of U-Turn for Christ, always tells this story um, when he was on the ranch at U-Turn. When he first came into the ministry of U-Turn, which was maybe 10 years ago, Auntie Jean, right? 10 years ago? 11 years ago? 11 years ago. Uh, a program that helped people that were addicted to drugs and alcohol, right, should not have leaders that are using drugs and alcohol. And so long story short, because he was not in the position to make those decisions at that time, he always, he always, goes tell, he always tells his story. Or had any way of contacting the head pastor, um, he said he ended up leaving it up to the Lord and just letting God handle what is wrong and making things right. And eventually, number says, right, your sin will find you out. And I'm butchering the story, but one day they were 
sick from partying one night, real sick, right? Went out, everybody went to sleep, they went out, came back home, and they were sick. And just so happened that next day, Pastor Alex uh, uh, decided to visit the ranch. And so they ended up getting what was really overdue to them. And Pastor Keone actually ended up being the overseer. Auntie Jean was not happy about that. He just got there. (laughs) So good. And so... What I'm trying to say here is another practice to have uh, about uh, another way for us to um, really embody meekness here is not just trusting in God like we've seen in verses 1 through 4, but also waiting on God. It's also about waiting on God and resting in Him. Now, this isn't like a passive waiting, like I'm going to be passively waiting, but rather we are waiting in expectation to do what is right and what is good if we're called to it, okay? So we're not passively waiting for God to make things right, but we're actively waiting. So if we're uh, actively waiting, that means we're on our tippy toes uh, to um, to really act upon it if he calls us to do it. But in this story, PK was in this position. He had no other choice but to let God handle what was happening around him. And I just wanna encourage all of us uh, with all the craziness going on really in this world, trust God. It does not go unnoticed and because God is a just God there is no injustice there is no evil that will not have to answer to him one day and so this is practicing meekness by resting in the Lord uh, and waiting on him and expectation knowing that he's going to make all things right amen and the last thing here I'm doing good on time and the last thing here is actually one of the most important practices of meekness that I've seen is actually in verse 8 and I don't think your guys' Bible uh, reads, uh, probably um, is read this way, but I love how the NLT puts it. He goes, stop being angry. <laughs> stop being angry. It says, turn your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. I don't think your Bibles read that way, no? It doesn't, right? Yeah, some kind of different English. I like this. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Now, remember this. Meekness never returns violence for violence. Meekness never returns evil for evil. Now, I say this because even as a Christian, I can get easily offended. Trust me. That's just me. Is that just me? Okay. You guys are looking at me like i got some really unique problem here. (laughs) As a Christian, I myself can get easily, easily offended. I can get easily provoked. Blood's boiling, thoughts racing with our natural, what do you think our natural response is to that? And yet, to embody meekness, to practice meekness, is to never fight injustice, with injustice, to never fight evil with evil, because as Christians, under Jesus' reign and rule, here at Calvary Chapel, North Shore, you and I are called to break the cycle of violence. That's it. That's what that's about. Pastor Steve teaches Taekwondo. I kind of, I asked him, he teaches Taekwondo. And you know what he told me? He does not teach these kids uh, to beat up everyone they see, right? Like remember, the next person uh, that looks at you kind of funny, you just beat them up. That's not what he says, right? 
He says, I teach these kids to fight so that they don't fight. I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what? I don't know what he's, I, no, I teach these kids to fight so that they can avoid the fight. That's what he's, that, that's what, that's what he's talking about here. This is strength under control. That's meekness. This is you and I learning how to fight without fighting. That's crazy, right? Because it is much easier, right, to just lash out at that person provoking you. I know it is. Because this is much easier to just punch that person who offended you. It's much easier to slander and gossip those people who are talking behind your back. I know it is. But he's calling you not to respond to evil with evil. Jesus is calling you and I to break this cycle. This is one of the most important practices of meekness. Is it going to hurt? Yeah. It's going to hurt. And so this is the kind of fight we're in. I mean, this is the Beatitudes. Right? Bless, you're blessed. This is the blessing. This is what Jesus is talking about. Is it going to take time? Yeah, it's going to take some time. But this is the direction God is moving us in. To be a church that embodies meekness and to break the cycle of violence, trusts in Jesus and waits upon him. If I can tell you anything tonight, trust in Jesus and wait upon him. That's the message. He's saying, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray you bless these men and women and children here tonight, Lord God. I pray that we would uh, be a church that reflects these beatitudes, uh, not, legal, uh, not like in a... Um, a legal sense, Lord, but your spirit working these things in us, Lord God. We're not, uh, we're being sanctified and molded and shaped by you every day. So, Father, I pray you would encourage these brothers and sisters here. I pray uh, that we would look like a church, not just morally upright and, uh, uh, and full, Lord, but mature, uh, that people would know us for uh, the love that we have for you and the love that we have for each other, Lord God. I pray that we would embody meekness, not just here at church, Lord, but um, in our job places and in our family, in our homes, Lord God, and, um, and wherever we are, Lord, uh, that we would show people uh, really what the kingdom of God looks like. I thank you for your word, Lord, um, and we praise you, and we pray you just continue to stir up our affections for you during this week, and we love you, and we praise you. I thank you for every believer here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.